Father, we thank you today for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that because you live, we have the hope of living, not just in this life, but in eternity with you. Lord, help us today to understand why the resurrection, and not just that of Jesus, that is our pattern, but why the resurrection for us. Help us to live our lives in a way that honors you in bringing the great gift of eternal life to each and every one here. We love you. We praise you today. We ask these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Aren't the flowers beautiful this morning? You can thank Vanessa and Debbie for that. Debbie was in charge of the mechanics, I think, and Vanessa was in charge of the decoration and how it went. But it, whoever did what, we appreciate it very much. Thank you for doing that. I have a home clock. You have clocks. But I have one in particular that is above steps. So to get to it, you have to get a ladder out and climb up to it. And then in the same room, but not above the steps, there is another clock that I simply enjoy the timing that it does every hour. Actually, I'll confess to you, it plays Beatles music every hour. And so I get to sit and hear a Beatles tune every 60 minutes. Several weeks back, four weeks or so, we went through a time change. The Beatles clock is still showing the wrong time. The clock above the stairs, it has probably gone through seven or eight time changes since I got a ladder out and went up to change it. In fact, the clock has stopped. The batteries have quit working and run out of juice, and that clock has stopped. And I think there's an illustration to be found in the story of my two clocks. The one is decorative. It plays the music I like. I sit there and it plays Hey Jude or it plays, you know, one of the Beatles songs. And I sit there and just kind of enjoy that. But it's decorative. It doesn't really tell me the time. In fact, Gina said this week, is it really whatever time it said on the clock? I said, no, I said, I haven't changed it yet. It doesn't matter to me what it says. I've got a wristwatch. But the other one is stuck in time. Stopped. I don't know what day that was, I don't know when that occurred, but it stopped. How many of you have ever felt like time has stopped for you? Something's happened, something's occurred. What would happen? Let me ask you that. If right now time just stopped for us and we were all kind of just plastered into our places right here, not able to move. I think sometimes we are that way in the church. Sometimes much of what we do is just there for decoration, and Easter can fall into that category real quick. And sometimes we can be just stuck in the circumstances of our lives. When Paul wrote this text this morning, he was writing to a church, and he was saying to them something that's very important. In fact, he comes out and says this for sure. He says, if the resurrection isn't true, tomorrow and the future in general does not matter. You might as well go ahead and live as you choose. But then he stops and he says, but the resurrection is true. And the resurrection touches matters of our lives as Christians that we ought to pay attention to. So I want you to listen this morning for a little bit. I'm going to talk about a few of the things that the resurrection touches. How about your witness for the sake of Christ? If you claim to be a Christian, when you join the Methodist Church, 
What we say is, is that you will help to get the message out. That you will serve, but you will also tell others. Go and communicate to others the joy that you have in your heart by being a Christian. Paul says, what do people mean by being baptized for the dead? And if you've ever read that verse, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 29. I'm sure you read that and skipped over it and said, what is that about? That's one verse in the Bible we don't really know what it's about. There's some groups in the, our world that think they know. The Mormon church, for one, baptizes people for the dead. But most of all, we Christians tend to think that what Paul's talking about there is why go and try to win others to Jesus if Christ himself has not been risen from the dead? If there's no resurrection, why bother having church? If there's no resurrection, why invite somebody to church? If there's no resurrection, why take the time to tell others about Jesus? Because if this life is a dead-end one-way street, why would we drive down it? But Paul's going to stop for a minute and say, but hold on. The resurrection's true. The resurrection is a reality. You may recall that Jesus said in his Gospels that there was a narrow way that led to life and a broad way that led to destruction. He said in John 5, 28, 29, these words, don't marvel, there's an hour coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those that have done good to a resurrection of life and those that have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. If you're reading the King James Bible, it says of damnation. There's a resurrection. It does matter what path you're on. It does matter that you tell those you love, those you encounter, those in your life and your workplace and your family about Jesus. Because this matters of the resurrection of Jesus matters. I have you take a good look at what Jesus says in this verse. He doesn't just say that there's a resurrection for Christians. He says there that there's a resurrection for all. And some will be resurrected to life. And some will be resurrected to a life of judgment. We weren't created for a life of judgment. We weren't created. God never intended for us to live eternity in judgment or in damnation or in hell. He created us because he loves us. And the resurrection is the story that Jesus gives to us to confirm our faith that we will spend eternity with him. I've said it five times this morning. Because he lives, we can live also. But because he lives, those you love can live also. Get them on track. Tell them the story. Give them the good news. The question remains, why the resurrection? I've got a dear friend, uh, not that dear of a friend, but a good friend from way back in my life. And that life that this person lived has been fraught with difficulty. I mean the worst kind of difficulty you can imagine. And I'm being a bit vague right now because we're going to put this on Facebook. But have you ever met somebody whose life has just been one challenge after another? I mean... A certain day, 21 things happen in 30 different years. A certain day, it seems like life comes to a standstill for them because of the tragedy of what has occurred. Why the resurrection? The resurrection is, answering, is an answer to suffering. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 30 to 32. Why are we in danger every hour? 
I protest, brothers, by my pride and greed. Now, he's talking to the church at Corinth, which I have in Christ Jesus. I die every day. Now, you know, there was a place in Romans where Paul said, I die daily. And what he meant was that he gave his life up for Christ daily. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here in 1 Corinthians is this. Life is tough. He says, what do I gain if I fought with some beasts at Ephesus? If the dead aren't raised, and he goes back and quotes from Isaiah, but it's a phrase you'll know, let us eat, drink, and be merry. Why go through all the heartache? Why go through all the suffering? Why would we do this? Why would we be in danger every hour? He's talking about his fellow disciples. The answer is because suffering has a response from God. You know, you've heard this passage before, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but listen to what Paul says in another place in 2 Corinthians. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we aren't driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. What is it that Paul's saying? He goes on to say, we always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. What's he saying? He's saying life is hard sometimes. And life has its good share of the negative and the bad in it. And we suffer. Why are we in danger every hour? Paul goes on in another place in 2 Corinthians, he says this. Are they servants of Jesus? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments. I've gone through countless beatings. I've been near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned to death once. When I go on journeys, I'm in danger from rivers and robbers and my own people. Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I go through toil and hardship. I have sleepless nights. I hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've lived in the cold and I've been exposed. And I love this line that he adds. And apart from all this, I've got the daily pressure on me of caring for the church. (laughs) Paul was constantly in some kind of danger. And he's trying to say, why do we suffer like this? Why do these things happen? Now, you and I probably haven't suffered the way Paul suffered. But Paul says there's an answer. There's a reason for the difficult places in our lives. I want you to think for just a minute here. What are you made of? Now, you may say, well, you know, the body's so much of a percentage water, is what they tell us. I think mine's so much of a percentage of Oreo cookies, but, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. We're made up of something. But biblically, scripturally, Paul, the, the Bible tells us that we're made up of three things. We're made up of physical bodies that God created out of nothing, the dust of the earth, which was created out of nothing. We're made with souls. The soul is what makes you, you, and me, me. The reason Bob and I are different is because our souls are different. God created us with unique personalities to make us who we are. We are bodies, we are souls, and then if you remember in the creation, 
God breathed into them the spirit of life, right? He breathed his spirit in them. They came to life. We are made up of body and soul and spirit. And this notion of suffering, tell me it isn't so. Tell me, tell me that you would disagree with me that when your hand hurts or your shoulder hurts or your head hurts or something on you has been injured, that it does not affect who you are deep down inside. It does. It affects us deeply. It affects all aspects of us. And sometimes damage or suffering can actually kill us. And that's when, you know, the life goes out of us. But I want you to hear how God tells us to deal with these things. Because all of us, all of who we are will participate in the resurrection. All of Jesus participated in the resurrection. He says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Did you hear that? What you're going through can't compare with what God's going to do with us in the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4 Verses 7 to 18, I'm not going to read them. I just want you to read, hear this one, which I put on the screen right now. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to him and not us. We are afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, never driven to despair. Persecuted, we've read this already, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. Look at this verse right here. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We say, and I'm going to bring this verse up in a few minutes. 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses says this. We will be like him for we'll see him just as he is. Can I stop and tell you something? Whatever you are going through today, whatever is happening to you right now, whatever difficulty in life you may face or whatever joy you have, whatever happiness has befallen you, whatever tragedy has come your way, Christ has been there and done that much too for you. We think that we're the only ones that know how difficult this is. But Paul said, in all of that suffering and despair and heartache and difficulty I've gone through, I always know that I carry around in my body the death of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Well, Isaiah said he's borne our sorrows. He's carried all of them. Those things are no longer the Christians. They're his because he carried them on the cross. Paul said, you ought to expect that that will happen to you because we who live are always, always being given over to death for Jesus' Uh, for Jesus' sake, so that his life, his eternal life, his resurrection life can be manifested in us. I bet you never thought of this before, that all of that heartache and all that suffering and all that death is at work in us for a reason. Is at work in us for a reason. And it is so that we can know that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and we'll be brought into his presence. Do you ever think about that? 
When, when Jesus could come and we celebrate Easter Sunday, we read John 20, 1 to 18. The women go to the tomb. He's not there. Those Peter and John run there. They outrace each other. They get in there. They look in. They touch the angel. They leave. The angels speak to the women. And we tell this story year after year after year. We know it. It's one of the, the stories that most everybody knows from the Bible. But what about your resurrection? How does the resurrection pertain to Joel, to you? How does it occur that you and I will one day be risen out of the suffering? For the Christian, we don't lose heart, even though it may look like we're hurting. Inside, we're being renewed day by day. Now, let's stop here and park for a minute. I told you we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. I could go through all the Greek and Hebrew words for you and talk about what they mean. I'm not going to do that. Simply going to tell you because you know it's true. We all have a body. We all have a soul or a personality. And we all have had life breathed into us by God. His spirit places in us the gift of The body may look like it's falling apart. I've got right now, and I know you don't want to hear my difficulties, but right now I've got pain up and down my back like you'd never forget. You can't see it, but trust me, I feel it. Each one of you have similar circumstances. Some of us, it shows. Some of it's visible. But even though that's true, the internal, the spiritual part, that which matters for eternity, our soul and our spirit, it's being renewed through this day by day. And that makes this difficulty a light momentary affliction. But it prepares for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. The resurrection is there to tell us that suffering doesn't win. The resurrection is there to tell us that just as Jesus was beaten, bruised, had everything done to him that Travis talked about on Friday night. It wasn't the end for him. It wasn't what he focused on. He knew that there was something vastly more important further down in time, and you should too. So why the resurrection? Here's the good news. You ever think about this? That the resurrection will separate you from sin? Scripture says... That when we rise from the dead, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. Now, I don't know about you, I know no one who has never sinned except for Jesus. And when Jesus rose, he rose from the dead to a new life. And you and I rise to a new life. But, but there's a spiritual resurrection that can take place that can allow us in this life to overcome sin. There's a spiritual resurrection that can occur in each of you and, each, and myself that can separate us from sin. Stop for a minute and think about this. Because what Paul has told us in this 1 Corinthians 15 scripture this morning is this. If the resurrection hasn't occurred, then you might as well live like you want. The future does not matter. Now before you go any further... Let me explain Corinth to you a little bit. Corinth was full of false gods. You know, you hear Corinthians and somebody talking about the Bible and you think, oh, that's a biblical term. must be a good place. 
Corinth was a terrible place. Had all kinds of false gods there. You'd walk down the street, people had on the outside of their homes, little holes dug into the side of their home, and they would put all their little false gods there, and people would walk down the street and offer offerings, put money to them. All over the city, everywhere you look, these little false gods. Corinth was rife with sexual sin. Actually, in the Corinthian church, we read about a, a man who is having an adulterous relationship with his stepmother. I mean, there was a temple of prostitution in Corinth. All of these things are going on. Does it, does it sound vaguely familiar to you to a time that you've ever lived in? It should. And you know what people tend to do in Corinth? in this town that was full of all this sin, they tended to reject, listen close, they tended to reject this notion of the resurrection of Christ in order to justify their sin. They actually believed, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You can do whatever you want, just go for it. I'm okay, you're okay. Whatever makes you feel good, do it. Because eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. Nothing matters. You see, they, they justified their sin on the basis of you really just have three score and ten years and then it's over. The resurrection tells us there's something more. There's something to look forward to beyond this life. Why the resurrection? And here's my answer to you. The fourth point, and we're getting near the end. It's God's answer to death. Let me remind you, I've already read this scripture, but it, it's the one we read as the main scripture this morning. And how it starts out is this. We have borne the image of the man of death. We will always also bear the image of the man of heaven. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor will your perishable nature inherit the imperishable. But let me tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we'll all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Now we sit here today and we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and we celebrate that. But do you realize that one day when Christ breaks the eastern sky and that trumpet sounds, that the dead in Christ will rise? I can't explain it to you. God can. That's what he says. But he also says something else. We who are alive and remain will be changed. This perishable nature must put on the imperishable. This mortal nature must put on the immortal. Those that raise that are resurrected from the dead at the return of Jesus, they'll die no more. Remember Lazarus that Jesus called out of the tomb? He had to die again. What a stinky thing, you know? All to make a good story in the Bible. You have to die, then get risen from the dead, and then die again. That's not true for those who are risen when Christ returns. Remember what? Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, 
that be a resurrection of those that have done good to a resurrection of life, and those that have done evil to a resurrection of judgment and damnation. The resurrection's coming. The question is, will you live it in life, or will you live it in death? I love what John writes, and I told you I'd read this to you, and here's where I, I read it. In 1 John, the epistle, the third chapter, the first three verses, John writes this. Listen close. This is so important. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we can be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Did you hear what John said? We know that when he appears, we will be like him. We're God's children right now, and we don't know what that looks like, but when he appears, we know this much. We will be like him. You remember what Jesus said when he came out of the tomb? He said to Mary and Martha, he said, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to my father. There was something different about him. There was something different. Friends, there should be something different about us. Because one day, if we're dead and Christ returns, we will be risen with Christ. We will receive a new body. Or if we are alive and remain, when that trumpet sounds, we will be changed and we will be like him. Paul says it this way, just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. How so? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, when it sounds, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Then will come to pass that saying that has been written, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Church, let me tell you something. There's nothing better than the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll close with this passage. Jesus speaks in John 14, and he says to his disciples, a little while the world will see me no more, but you, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Why the resurrection? And here's the bottom line, church. Easter Sunday, I'm sorry, Easter Sunday makes your life matter. How many of you know who Solomon is in the Old Testament? Do you know who Solomon is? Do you ever read Solomon's writings? Solomon says 38 times. Listen to this. Solomon says 38 times, all is vanity. You've heard, you've read that. If you've read the book Solomon, you've read that. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You know what Paul's, you know what Solomon's meaning there? He's meaning life doesn't really matter. It's all in vain. He had, he, he, he's saying it's just a breath. You, you breathe, and then it's over, and you're gone. Poof. You see, Solomon had the money and the wherewithal to try everything he could imagine, and he tried it. He tried pleasure. He tried money. 
He tried being successful and building kingdoms. He did everything that could possibly be thought of to fulfill him. And at the end of the day, he said, nothing really matters. You know what Jesus' resurrection says? It says, oh, yes, it does. very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 that I read to you at the start this morning says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your work is not in vain. The Message Bible says it this way. With all of this going for us, meaning the resurrection, with all of this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing that you do for him is a waste of your time or effort. Christian, for Jesus, the path to the empty tomb, to that first Easter morning, went through the cross of Calvary. Do you realize that? If Jesus doesn't suffer on that cross, you don't have an empty tomb because he's not going to be there. He would have called down legions of angels and God would have rescued him. But he chose to suffer, and it's the suffering that you and I should have suffered. The only path to the empty tomb goes through the difficult, disgusting, and deathly cross of Calvary. Some of us here today have found ourselves at places in life where life has become so difficult that we can't see what's next. And what's next is the joy of Easter morning. What's next is the empty tomb. What's next? What looks like death and destruction and heartache and sorrow and grief. Actually, we ought to run to it like Peter and John do. Because that one is when God does his best work. He does his best work when life looks at its worst. He rolls away stones. He breathes that breath of life back into the body. And he says, come forth. 